Well, hello there, happy innovators. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. Just kind of settling in here in my studio. I got my cup of coffee. You know, I'm ready to do some talking today and put a little bit of cinnamon in my coffee today. Did you ever do that? Just sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon, stir it into your coffee. Kind of is a game changer. It's delicious. And uh, I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about today, uh, but before I really start getting into everything, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention uh, the recent passing of the famous, world famous uh, guitar player, Eddie Van Halen. And uh, I don't know, I guess if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you probably have gotten the idea that, you know, This guy was like a hero to me. So when the news came that Edward Van Halen had died, uh, it was a sad day. I mean, I obviously didn't know him or anything, but uh, it's different for me uh, with the passing of Eddie Van Halen uh, than it was even for me when uh, Neil Peart from Rush died. I think it was last year, maybe the beginning of this year earlier in the year you know I'm a drummer so you know Neil Peart was a big you know part of my life you know he was for many many years um, you know probably probably considered like the greatest living rock drummer you know and uh, he was I mean he was phenomenal and you know I could talk for days about that stuff a lot of it technical you know but the reasons that he was so great, but everybody kind of knew that, right? Everybody kind of understood it. And it was the same kind of thing with Eddie Van Halen. I mean, you know, anybody who's ever heard that guy play cannot deny, you know, whether you like the music or not, you can't deny that he was just (laughs) beyond legendary. I mean, he just was so creative and innovative and talented and musical, you know, and, uh, oh man, those early Van Halen albums, you know, with David Lee Roth, when they first were coming up and, you know, literally taking the world by storm and they did, you know, and those albums, like every song on those albums was like a party, you know, they somehow had managed that, that early version of Van Halen had somehow managed to kind of like catch lightning in a bottle, you know, and they they had this ability to turn the rock and roll song into like a party. I mean, it's every song sounds like a party. I mean, think about it, especially with David Lee Roth's approach to the microphone and what he was kind of doing. He was like most of the time uh, talking. You know, think about it. Go back and listen to those records. And he's doing that kind of thing where he goes back and forth from like talking to singing. And oh my gosh, you know, to this day, when you when you play those albums, anything off of the first four or five albums from Van Halen, it's all great. I mean, song for song, everything. And, you know, think about this, too, with somebody like Eddie Van Halen. Like I mentioned in a podcast, oh man, maybe two months ago, 
I was talking about it, how him and his brother Alex had been, you know, in this business together. Not only were they brothers, but they were in this industry together and they were leading the industry, really. Um, and they were doing it together, you know, how, how unique their relationship must be and, and the stories that they could tell that no one else can tell, you know, because these two guys together were on top of the world, you know, and uh, they actually sang a song about that, didn't they? You know, standing on top of the world. Oh, I love all that stuff. I love all the stuff. Even the stuff with uh, Sammy Hagar when he took over or that Gary Sharon was singing for them for a little while. You know, it really made no difference to me, really. You know, I, I like the Van Halen with David Lee Roth better. You know, I do. They seem to be a little more edgy, a lot less pop. But even the stuff with Sammy Hagar was done well. You know, his his voice was great it was different it was a change you know like i mentioned in that last podcast you know talking about change oh man you know but uh they did okay they did great and the music was always great you know um and you know there's another element to this you know situation with the passing of edward van halen you know that's maybe a little bit more emotional for some reason for me even then even more so than when like I said when Neil Peart had died from Rush um Eddie Van Halen was different uh at least to me he kind of uh, I don't know maybe it was because he had been you know famous for the most part for my entire life and he had become such a icon, you know, uh, and a, a trailblazer and a leader. And you kind of knew, like, when there was a new Van Halen album coming out or when you heard a new song or something on the radio from them, you kind of knew it was, you know, his guitar playing at least, if the song sucked, at least his guitar playing would be phenomenal. You know, it always was was um, really like I guess when I think about Eddie Van Halen he's more of like a part of my life than most other musicians were I guess I guess that might sound strange but you know and it wasn't just because he was a guitar player it was like the Van Halen as a band as a name or as a brand had just been so famous my whole life. I had heard so much of their music. I'd seen them in concert. I bought the records. I bought the posters. You know, I, I, you know, and I love posters. I don't know about you. Do you remember rock and roll posters back in the 70s and 80s? Or even the 90s, but mostly the 70s and the 80s? Oh, weren't posters great? I had some excellent posters, and they all got trashed eventually, and, uh, you know, I would give my left foot to get some of those posters back. They were so great, you know, but uh, they, that went the way of the dodo bird, I think. I don't see too many posters for sale anymore, but, um, you know, I, I had invested my 
hard-earned, you know, lawn-cutting money, you know, paper route money on my Van Halen stash, you know. And uh, it was just, you know, there was a time, I guess, in the 80s when, like, any which way you looked, uh, the Van Halen brand was in your face, you know, or they were involved somehow, and you had, uh, you know, the members of KISS talking about how they found Van Halen and helped them get their start, and, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, of course, had Eddie Van Halen play guitar on Beat It, you know? Think about that, how huge that song was, even now, and uh, there again, you know, Van Halen had his stamp on that, and, you know, he was a great guitar player and all that, and an innovator, you know, he changed the way that guitars are built, he changed the way that guitars are played, um, the approach to the instrument was revolutionized by one person, much in the same way that, you know, uh, Jimmy Page or uh, Jimi Hendrix had done in the past, like in the 60s, 70s. Uh, you know, Van Halen emerged in the late 70s, early 80s, and, you know, who would deny that he was not the modern-day revolutionary on that instrument, you know? And uh, it's sad. It's a sad time for me. Uh, like I said, I didn't know him or anything, and I haven't cried, you know, or anything like that, but I just get this kind of feeling like, well, one, that, like, time is passing. You know, that's happening for me. You know, time is passing, and I'm getting older, and these kinds of things are going to happen. These kinds of familiar things are going to fade away. But more than that, okay, for me... It's more like this sense of, like, we've lost something. When Eddie Van Halen died, you know, more so than any other entertainer that's died, well, I guess maybe with Prince it was the same way, or Tom Petty, but, you know, this real sense of loss, like we have lost something. And uh, I definitely get that feeling when I think about the situation with Van Halen. You know, that um, we were kind of like, I guess, privileged in a lot of ways that we've lived uh, in the same time that he did. And, you know, him and other musicians as well. Like I said, Prince, Tom Petty, David Bowie, uh, you know, uh, when these people die, you know, we're really kind of losing something that will probably never come around again, you know? And, uh, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, you know? I'm not, you know, groveling on the ground, sobbing, you know, rubbing gravel through my hair, you know? It's not like that, but it's just this little tug on my heart a little bit and on my brain that, wow, we really have lost something. It's gone. It's gone. And uh, so that's all that I'm going to say about that today. Just suffice it to say that, you know, for me as a musician, 
and as a person, it's a particularly sad death, you know, to me. It was kind of unexpected and, you know, it's a sad time for me in that regard, you know. So, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen, guitar hero, guitar wizard, you know, guitar legend, and innovator. You know, speaking of deaths, recent deaths, um, you know, there's this lady that was a friend to my wife and myself, and uh, she used to work with my wife a long time ago, and that's how I met her, you know, and uh, her name was Judy, and Judy had died uh, on the 4th of July this past summer, and my wife and I both were completely unaware that Judy had passed away. And um, it's kind of a funny thing in a way. This this character, Judy, that was a friend of my wife's, uh, she was an older woman. And when I say older, I mean like in her 60s. So she was, you know, probably in her late 60s when uh, I met her and I was introduced to her by my wife. But this lady, Judy, was like a real, like, unique personality and a real like character you know like um, somebody that you couldn't make up if you're writing a story you couldn't make it up she was so out there and so funny and just so I don't know so eccentric you know Um, she (laughs) she had this certain way of like dressing okay and uh She was notorious for this kind of like ensemble that she would be wearing all the time. Much like that character in The Big Lebowski, you know, the dude. You know, you can't make that character up. I mean, that character, the dude from The Big Lebowski, was based on a real person that the Coen brothers knew. You know what I mean? You can't... There's some characters that are so... Um, out there and so um, specific you know so eccentric that you couldn't make it up and this Judy was much like that you know Uh, she would be seen normally wearing a sweatshirt jeans and then she wore these cowboy boots that she tucked her jeans into And it didn't matter if it was a hundred degrees outside. It didn't matter if it was raining, snowing, whatever it was. She would always wear sweatshirt, jeans, tucked into her cowboy boots, her brown cowboy boots. And she had this like really thick gray hair that was cut like into a bob. And she was like, to me, maybe like the quintessential New Englander. You know, she had, uh, you know, that New England Democrat look to her, even though she was from New Jersey originally. So she was a transplant here in New England, like me and uh, and my wife. Um, she, you know, she she had that look. She had that look 
and uh, like a stereotype almost. But she was so unique and so different and so staunch. Like my wife would always say, she was a staunch character, you know. And it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, my wife was telling me uh, many years ago before Judy died. She was like, you know, Judy was talking about you today, you know, referring to me. And she was asking my wife if I had any brothers that she could date. <laughs> so, you know, according to my wife, Judy liked me a little too much. Okay. <laughs> Which is kind of funny and endearing, especially if you knew her. You know, she was really a, a funny character, a funny person. And, um, you know, my wife and I were both kind of taken aback by the fact that she had passed away and you know it's because this woman was like such a force of nature you know she was in her 60s and 70s and she was running for political office in her local area she was an activist you know um, very outspoken you know not afraid to speak truth to power you know she was really living that lifestyle and really that kind of person and it's one thing to see that kind of thing like in a movie or in a story but when you meet someone in real life who's like that you know who has those qualities um, it's really entertaining if not anything else to like hang out with somebody like that for a while and just watch them move through the world you know it's, it's pretty damn funny and I gotta say I'm really sad that she passed away. I hope that she went on to greener pastures. You know, she had kind of had like a rough life a little bit. You know, she was single her whole life. Um, she almost got married once, but uh, that was like back in the 60s. And uh, something kind of happened and fell through. So she wound up being alone uh, her entire life. And uh, from time to time, my wife and I would go over to her house and I would kind of like help her out around the house doing some of the yard work or moving heavy things kind of helping her out so um you know my wife and I both instead of calling her Judy like in our house we had given her the nickname boots you know because of those cowboy boots and uh mostly because the first time I ever saw Judy okay the first time I ever laid eyes on her my wife and I were driving down the road and there she was walking along the side of the road with a watering can and of course her sweatshirt jeans tucked into the boots you know gray hair cut into a bob hunched over carrying this watering can down the road and she was watering the different flowers like in the t in the uh, town square area she was watering the flowers apparently she had that responsibility and uh, my wife said, hey, that's Judy. That's her right there. The first time I ever laid eyes on her. And uh, I just, <laughs> like, I started laughing, I think, out loud. Like, I couldn't believe it, you know. She was just so, like, what is her deal? You know, like, what is going on there? And uh, so we started to refer to her as Boots, like, in our house. So she would, my wife would come home from work and she'd go, oh, you'll never believe what Boots, you know, said today or what happened with Boots today, you know. Uh, we never called her Judy, you know. We always called her Boots. So, you know, in our house, 
even though Judy, your boots, has uh, passed away, she'll live on in our house, in our memories, and in our hearts. Because she was a character that both my wife and I had grown to love like very much. We cared a lot about her. And uh, even though she was feisty and spunky and causing trouble and, you know, that kind of thing, um, she was never, like, cruel or harmful, you know? Crazy, maybe. You know, maybe. uh, I would rather say eccentric, but, you know, there's a difference between someone who's crazy and they're harmful and somebody who's crazy and they're just funny, you know, or they're just entertaining you know and uh she falls into that latter category you know so i wanted to mention her today in this podcast because we had just found out maybe a week or two ago that uh she wasn't with us anymore and we didn't know we didn't even know no one called us or told us or anything so uh you know rest in peace boots love you baby Wherever you are, I hope you're happy. You and Eddie Van Halen are probably hanging out together. And uh, you're probably driving him crazy with your political opinions. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of Judy's, um, you know, the other night my wife and I had decided we wanted to watch the movie The Wizard of Oz. You know, It's one of those movies that, you know, even though I've seen it a lot over the course of my lifetime, um, it's still kind of fascinating to watch just because it's, you know, (laughs) it's The Wizard of Oz. You know, it's one of the greatest films of all time. Um, But, you know, this time around when we were watching the movie, uh, I kind of had like a revelation. I kind of had an angle of thought that I hadn't had before even though I'd seen this movie a thousand times. Um, You know, I kind of like focused, kind of honed in on the character of Dorothy that Judy Garland is playing in the film. And, you know, she, of course, is playing this young girl, you know, this young farm girl from Kansas, right? And, you know, I had never really paid too much attention to that. You know, I kind of had the overview of the story rather than focusing in on her character. But it occurred to me this time around when we were watching it, and maybe you will agree with me. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I got this impression and this thought from watching Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz um, that she was playing a young girl and like the attitude and the demeanor of this character she was playing uh, is so different than, you know, what we would call a young girl, a little girl, like now, you know, it's, she's so different, her attitude, her understanding, her obedience to her parents or her grandparents in that story. Um, and I know that the character of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz is, you know, based on a character from a book, you know, a fairy tale, uh, you know, not, not a real person, you know. Um, but Judy Garland was portraying the character from that book. And that character that she was portraying, 
I would argue, is based on, you know, m- you know, maybe like how little girls used to be, you know, maybe, maybe, right? Uh, based on somebody that Judy Garland had known or the director had known and they wanted her to emulate these qualities and they gave her this kind of costume and they gave her this kind of hair and this kind of personality, right, that she was portraying and, and it had to be based on somebody, right, in real life. And I just got to thinking about that, you know. I'm not even sure why or what it means, but it's like there's something very important there, I think, uh, in the difference between the character Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, that kind of person, that kind of girl, and the modern day version of that girl. They're so vastly different. I mean, just think about it the clothes. And the attitude and, of course, the technology and the education and all that. But, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of felt like um, maybe, okay, I don't know for sure. I haven't quite worked this thought out, but, you know, maybe we have lost something, okay, uh, in that realm, you know, we have lost, or I should say young girls, modern day younger ladies have lost something that young girls used to have and they don't have it anymore. And I don't know if it's an innocence. I don't know if it's naivete. I I don't know what you'd want to call it, but There was a part of me that genuinely felt maybe a little bit saddened by that, a little disappointed, like, you know, um, and it wasn't just with that character, Dorothy. I I know this, this probably sounds way out there to you, okay? But uh, like I said, I haven't worked it out all the way in my mind, but I have been thinking about it a great deal, you know? This idea that we have lost some kind of innocence or something and it wasn't just with that Dorothy character. It was also with the other characters that were around her in the movie. Okay, now I know it's just a movie. I know it's just a story. But those characters, uh, her grandparents and the farmhands, you know, that eventually became the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow. You know, they were based on somebody. They were based on people. Real people. In some way, I am sure, right? Um, they weren't just invented out of thin air. And maybe, okay, the world used to be that way. Like, I was asking myself that question. Is that possible? I mean, was the world ever really, really the way it was uh, in The Wizard of Oz, like in the beginning of the film? Was the world ever really that way? You know? Or was it just total, total fiction? And the answer is no, it is not total fiction. The answer is that, yes, the world, uh, you know, reality used to be like that, you know, where girls were allowed to stay girls as long as possible. And 
you know, with the men and the women that were the, the adults that were the guardians of this young lady, you know, Dorothy, um, it was a sign of success and, uh, I guess a sign of power, right? And, and uh, that they had protected her innocence as long as they did. I mean, there was a time when, um, you know, it was extremely easy for young girls to disgrace their families and disgrace themselves. And I know, you know, we can get into all that, the morality and all that stuff, but that's not not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something deeper than that even, you know, that, uh, you know, maybe we've lost something as a society, as a culture that's just not there anymore, you know, and why is that? I don't know. I don't know why that has faded off, you know, into obscurity, why it went away and was replaced by some other kind of demeanor or mentality. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But I get the distinct impression, you know, having thought about this a little while, that there's something there to study. There's something there to analyze and think about. And, you know, just uh, go back and watch The Wizard of Oz yourself. You know, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go back and watch the first, what, uh, 20, 30 minutes of the film uh, and you'll, you know, and, and watch it through this lens that I am now presenting you with and see for yourself, you know, I mean, it's just night and day. It's night and day uh, from the way the world is now, you know, the world then compared to the world as we know it now was so different and I'm not sure that it's better. And I'm also definitely sure that we cannot go back in time and all of a sudden change everything back to the way it was. And I'm not even sure that the world would want to, you know, even if it could. It's not going to happen. And that's not what I'm arguing for. All I'm saying is, is that to me, to me, I'm pausing for a moment and kind of taking some time to digest and like understand that there is a world of difference between the way the world was, you know, back in the 90, early 1900s, you know, uh, as compared to the early 2000s. And yeah, I know time passes, things change, blah, 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 blah. I know that, you know. Uh, I'm rational and I'm logical and I can get there on my own. I don't need somebody to tell me, you know, of course I understand that, but I don't know. This is something that I knew I wanted to talk about in a podcast. I knew I wanted to put it out there in the ether, uh, because, uh, it's something that's been on my mind and, uh, I just knew that it was something that I wanted to put out there, put out there in the ether. Maybe throw it your way and see if uh, there's anybody out there that kind of understands what I'm talking about and uh, maybe agrees with me, you know, that um, uh, I guess much like, you know, we lost Eddie Van Halen, you know, we're never going to get him back again. There's not going to be any, you know, 
new Van Halen tours or anything. You know, it's gone. We've lost that. It has, it has slipped into the past now. So did this way of life that was, you know, the way the world was back in the, you know, early 1900s. Uh, in America, especially. But, you know, it just kind of just kind of got me to thinking about it. And I suppose I'll be thinking about it for a long while after this. So, anyway. Um, maybe over the past, like, year or so, I kind of have taken on this idea of um, studying, you know, um, the artist, believe it or not, the artist Madonna, you know. Um, she's kind of an interesting character to me. I, I, I don't like all of her music, and I certainly don't hate all of her music, you know, and I'm not a huge fan. I have never bought one of her records, but um, a lot of the time, let's say if one of her songs comes on the radio, I won't turn it off. I'll listen to it. A lot of her songs are decent. Well, they're actually not even her songs. A lot of them they are written by other people. But the point being is that um, I just have, for some reason, decided I'm going to like really kind of check in with Madonna. You know, I'm going to like read about her. I'm going to watch as much footage of her as I can and her interviews and things like that because she's really a kind of fascinating character, you know, an icon, again, much like Eddie Van Halen, right? I mean, it'll be a sad day when Madonna dies, you know. For, for me, it will because she represents so much of my life, you know. Her career has spanned really my whole adult life, even young adult life. You know, and what a fascinating character, you know, this woman who, uh, you know, took the world by storm. She did it by herself, you know, much like Elvis did. You know, she was alone. She didn't have a band or something or, you know, a group of people to lean on. She was really kind of doing this herself. And, um, you know, like I said, I've been kind of just reading up on her, watching interviews, listening to her albums. Uh, even the, you know, the deep cuts on her records, you know, the ones that never made it to radio, just kind of like really trying to get a really broad understanding of this person, you know, this uh, entertainer, Madonna, not the material girl, not all that, you know, glamour and all that stuff, like getting down to the nuts and the bolts of Madonna and what kind of a woman she really is and like what she means to the world as a woman in her position. And, uh, you know, it was like um, kind of like, I guess, a cross-reference, you know, throughout this process, like uh, Bjork, you know, she's another one. She kind of like entered into this kind of exploration I'm engaging in, you know, like studying about Bjork and like what her deal is and like think about it, you know, Madonna, Bjork, these two women that came up in the 80s, really started to pop in the 90s and of course became global mega superstars, uh, these two women. Um, and that, what does that mean? You know, like what kind of what kind of life have these two women led? What has it been like for them, you know, as these two icons, global superstars, um, 
you know, they're both musicians, they're both singers, they're both very attractive, or at least they were, and, you know, innovative in many ways, um, in a business that's dominated by men, uh, and they were selling TNA a little bit, Madonna a little bit more than Bjork, but, you know, like, what kind of a story can they tell? I mean, not the bullshit story either about their, you know, their stardom and the glamour. I'm talking about their life, the life they live away from the cameras. What has it been like for these two women? I mean, think about that. The stories that these two women could tell you, you know, about the world and their fans and the the experience of the pressure of being a global superstar and having contracts and deadlines and debt and, you know, money that money to burn and, you know, men and women throwing themselves at them, offering them whatever they wanted and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Think about that. Madonna and Bjork, these two women who are still, okay, still, famous and still making records and still doing their thing uh, they didn't compete with each other right because Bjork was really kind of off into a you know her whole her own thing if there was ever a singer or performer that was doing their own thing I mean let's face it Bjork she takes the cake you know but Madonna was not so far away from that, really. She was an innovator. She changed things. She's, you know, uh, influenced and, you know, all the things that come with that, right? But there's this song uh, by Madonna. I forget what it's called. I think it's called Unconscious. It's one of those tracks by Madonna. And there's a handful that I really like. Okay, and I thought the video was just wicked. It was this excellent, you know, very well done uh, production from the roof to the ceiling. Like it was, it was done well all the way around, right? And uh, you know, I didn't realize it until I started to kind of dig a little bit that that song I'm talking about, "Unconscious" by Madonna, was actually okay. Now this is true. This is a collaboration between Bjork and Madonna. Isn't that crazy? I had no idea. Okay. Bjork and Madonna, these two extremely famous women, really, you know, they're both musicians, but really they're polar opposites, really. Okay. Um, Although they do have a lot in common. Um, They collaborated on a song together. And it just so happens to be one of the songs by Madonna that I like the most. Now, I tend to like Bjork more than I like Madonna's music. I I listen to more Bjork stuff because she's so outrageous and out there, and I admire that about her. And she really, truly is a great singer, performer, and, you know, she delivers. It's the real deal. Uh, She's one of the only artists, in my opinion, who's managed to do it right from the beginning to the end. You know, she stayed weird. Uh, She didn't get too normal. Um, She's creative and interesting and just, you know, way out there sometimes. And, you know, like I've said a thousand times before on this podcast, 
in the world of music and entertainment and things like that, weird is a currency. Okay. Uh, in the real world, you know, with normal people and everything, it's uh, a, a very easy way to put yourself on the fast track to being ousted or shunned by people. Because, you know, most people try to stay normal, keep their head down, not be recognized or noticed, that kind of thing. They just you know, want to live day to day, you know. But in the world of entertainment, being weird is very important. At least in my opinion or from my perspective. Okay. Um, And Bjork takes the cake. She is the prime example of weird in music and entertainment and how that can preserve your career. By being weird instead of sexy or, you know, by being weird instead of like angry and tough or whatever it is that other musicians have, you know, adopted as their persona Bjork went with weird Madonna went with sexy and as we see now as this this situation is currently you know Madonna's career is really kind of taking a hit you know because she was selling TNA and as we all know you know time is the great enemy right if you're going to be selling TNA there's a window of time where you can be shaking that stuff in the camera. And after that, unfortunately, you know, it's a young girl's game, right? Um, Madonna is still kind of like hanging on, in my opinion. I feel that if there was ever a person who kind of like stayed at the party too long, it's her. And I've always been kind of hoping, okay, that she would take a left-hand turn or like a right-hand turn. Like she'd go off into another direction and really shock people with how creative she really is. Because she is very creative and very talented and you can't deny it, okay? It's hard to be Madonna. It's hard to do that and do it well like she has done. It's a lot of hard work and a lot of imagination and a lot of determination to be that kind of person and maintain that career that long. And the same goes for Bjork, okay, in my book. But can you imagine these two women, right? Bjork, Madonna, in the studio together, working on a track, okay? Now, to me, that makes me think, okay, that means that these two women had sat down and talked. Like, they're friends, Okay, they don't show that on the news on Entertainment Tonight or anything, but Bjork and Madonna know each other and they're obviously friendly enough with each other to collaborate. Right now, think about that. The conversation, the conversations between Madonna and Bjork. There's a thought for you. What kind of stuff do they talk about? I mean, the the stories and the, you know, the experiences that these two women can share with each other that nobody else can, you know? I mean, who is bigger than Madonna, you know? Like, who is more famous than Madonna? The highest grossing touring act for the past 10 or 15 years. It's like some crazy number. Like she, She sells out every tour, 
you know, still, you know, even though she's in the bathtub with the flower petals, like, ugh, a cringe moment. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was hoping, specifically with that, I was hoping that Madonna would take the high road and artistically and go off into, like I said, something that would shock people and really make them reevaluate her as an artist. And instead, you know, she's hanging on to that sexy thing. And, you know, it's like at this point, you know, come on, come on, honey, you know, put your clothes on. Okay. It's time for you to put your clothes on and make great music. Can you do that? Can you put your clothes back on and get in the studio and make music that blows people's minds? I mean, it's not like you don't have the resources, you know, be an artist. Stop being a centerfold because you're not anymore. You know, time has not worked to your advantage. And unfortunately, you're not like Bjork, who never really made it about TNA or selling her body. It was about, I'm weird. Here I am. Take it or leave it. And people, a lot of people, myself included, were on board for that. So the takeaway is this, as you step away from the podcast today, thinking about what I'm talking about, if you're still even paying attention, right? Um, because this is kind of out there, you know, these, these things I'm talking about, these thoughts, but, um, this is how, like how I think some, sometimes, not all the time. I mean, I don't walk around with my head in the clouds all the time, but it's good to do. It's good to look at something sometimes and break it down and try to understand it and really try to get an understanding of it, you know? And so the takeaway from this discussion about Madonna and Bjork is just think about the lives these two women have led as women in the modern world you know uh, think about how far away they are from Judy Garland you know from Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz you know, a perfect way to illustrate you know what I'm talking about here um, but uh, just think about the lives these two women have led and are continuing to lead like to be a fly on the wall when Madonna and Bjork are sitting down and really talking about stuff. What do they talk about? You know, can you imagine what a crazy, crazy life they've had? You know, these two women uh, and the stories they could tell and the things they saw and the money they spent and the things they tasted and the places they visited and the men that threw themselves at them. You know, the marriages and divorces and, you know, all the entertainment business stuff and having hit singles and all all that stuff. The stories they could tell, the things they could talk about, you know, fascinating. And you'd never know that they're friends. You'd never know they know each other. You'd never know, you know, because it's not something that's publicized, but something to think about if you're a happy innovator you'll know what i'm talking about and you'll you'll get it you'll understand what i'm saying you know and if not well i can't help you (laughs) this is a place in a podcast for weird people okay you know and weird is something trust me like i said weird is currency in this world 
of you know entertainment and things like that weird is currency and bjork is the living testament to that um if you want to see a performance let me tell you little sidebar here if you want to watch a performance that will blow your mind okay a vocal performance type into youtube bjork live on jules holland and watch her performance she's wearing this little green dress no shoes you know she's up on stage just going off you know on the microphone really a stellar performance by her and her band that was behind her but like i said if you want to be impressed take my advice and go watch that watch that woman sing watch her body watch her face watch her eyes and the intensity that she has and it's not an act you know it's the real deal when you're watching bjork on jules holland they have captured a moment that you know i go back and watch it sometimes just to get inspired because she's that good okay so anyway i've been talking for wow almost an hour i guess i have a little bit of time so i'm going to share a story with you something that had entered my memory um a little cap off into this podcast and i had wanted to talk about it because it was just one of those things that made such a difference to me you know because I've talked in the past about um, encouraging other people, like the idea of being encouraged by people or you encouraging someone else, like giving them confidence in themselves. You know, it's something that uh, is very hard to find. You don't really get too many examples of that in your life. And maybe if you're lucky, you do. But for most people, you know, there's not a whole lot of encouragement. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, people out there who really need somebody to, you know, give them some encouragement, give them some, you know, props, give them something to get excited about and, and inspired, you know, and there's just not a whole lot of that. But this one day, okay, this is what I wanted to say. This one day I was working this really difficult job as a landscaper and it was really, really not a pleasant job, not a pleasant working environment. Although I love working outside, the people that I worked with were the biggest assholes I've ever known in my life. And there were about 12 of them and one of me. And it was like, they were just the biggest. (laughs) They weren't very kind people and they were no fun to work with. And they made sure that every day that I had gone into work, there would be some kind of something right that would offend me hurt my feelings piss me off make me angry frustrate me you know whatever it's like this this band of jackasses had decided that they were going to make my life miserable for no real reason at all really okay but this is how it goes sometimes when you work in the world of you know shitheads this is what it's like And I just had this awful day, you know, the worst day ever. And after work, I was hungry. I wanted something to eat. So I stopped at a fast food place. I think it was like a McDonald's or a Burger King or something. Okay. Just to grab something to eat. Time me over until supper time and for my drive home, you know, and uh, 
So I get in line at this fast food place and I recognize this guy who's at the front on the line. He's somebody that had seen the band I was in, a few of the bands I was in, I guess. Um, he is somebody that had, you know, paid to see me play, you know, uh, a fan. Okay, I guess you'd call him a fan. And uh, he had his little kid with him, you know. So he turns around and looks at me and I look at him. And we make eye contact and I acknowledge him like, hey, what's up, man? Because I recognized his face. I didn't know his name, but I, I recognized his face and he recognized me. And, you know, this is the worst day ever. Okay, I need to emphasize that. It was just like a really bad day. Have you ever had a really, really bad day, you know, at work or something? A really bad day. Well, this was my really bad day. Discouraged, hungry, tired, hot, uncomfortable. Just a crappy day. And this guy with his kid turns his kid around to look at me okay and he points at me and he says to his little kid you see that guy over there that's the best drummer in the world pointed at me he said that to his little kid now okay I'm not the best drummer in the world I know that okay and I don't need anybody to you know tell me okay I, I know okay but I was a small fish in a small pond. But to have such a crappy day, and then at the very, very end of the day, to have that kind of compliment come from somebody unsolicited, you know, and he was saying it to his kid, you know, he wouldn't lie to his child, you know, he was, he was speaking truth to his child, at least according to him. And... I'll tell you what, it was a short little thing. It happened very quickly, you know, but I never forgot it. I never forgot it. It was something that was stuck in my memory from that day forward, you know, not because of the compliment necessarily, because like I said, you know, I'm a decent drummer. I'm not the greatest in the world. Okay. But at that moment, I was, you know, and it kind of, without, you know, uh, trying to sound too corny or something, it was one of those things that I really needed to hear, you know, at that moment, encouragement, reminding me, you know, that uh, all this stuff I'm doing with the music and all that stuff, it's not for nothing. And uh, it was just one of those things I'll never forget. And I wanted to share it with you. You know, why? Why do I want to talk about that? Because it's an example, you know, to all of us of like how we can be for each other. Right. Now, let's all grab hands and sing Kumbaya. Right. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But. Just think about that. The people around you, the people that are in your life, are you encouraging to them? Do you have faith in them? Do you push them to become greater than they are? Do they do that for you? And if they do, great. But if they don't, why not? (laughs) Right? Why not? It's something we should be for each other. It's something we should all do for each other. You know? 
and unfortunately that's usually not how it goes but you know hey for some people they do have good people around them that are encouraging them and vice versa you know they're they're reaching out to people complimenting the people and helping them along telling them what they're doing is good they're good at what they do you know think about it think about it yeah so anyway my happy innovators my darlings uh have a great week stay safe have fun uh new music is coming i guess i can mention briefly very briefly um if you remember in the last podcast i did i was talking to you about my album that i'm releasing uh, i wanted to have originally 11 songs uh and i you know had at the last minute you know changes had come change you know unexpected change and uh i was gonna do a 12 song album because a new song emerged and love is the happiest way and blah 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 the dotted line was gonna be next and uh so i released love is the happiest way and the next song was going to be the dotted line but let me tell you i started to work on the dotted line again and i just it was like hitting a brick wall you know no inspiration no ideas nothing i did sounded good it just was like okay you know i'm I'm getting out of my own way here i'm gonna let the cosmos dictate how this album will go and therefore i have decided at least at this point okay that my first album of this trilogy of three albums that i'm doing this is the first installment the first album act one you know, volume one, this is the first CD, is not going to have 12 songs. It's going to have 11, and it's going to end with Love is the Happiest Way. So we've got track number one, okay, we had Unum Deum, then we had Here Comes the Sun, an Ode to the Spirit, Static Check, A Broken Table, Sister Wind, The Damage a Lie Can Do, Lust, The Ocean of Regret, Sedusa, and then love is the happiest way. And that will end, as far as I know, that will end the first album. And now I'm getting ready to start to release the second body of work. Okay, that's, like I said, part two of three parts, three albums. Okay, follow me. So anyway, gotta go. Peace out, everybody. Love y'all. Be safe, have fun, have a great week, a great weekend. And with that, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. And try to encourage each other, right? Peace out. Well, hello there, happy innovators, the ones who had the inclination to stay behind a little bit because you wanted to hear some music, right? Did you think I forgot about you? Oh, come on. 
can never forget about you. Um, so here, I got a surprise for you today. I'm going to share with you something that I'm not going to release. Uh, it'll only be here on this podcast. Um, it's an alternate version to the song Sedusa. Um, and just briefly, I can describe to you, you know, or explain to you uh, that the song I released a few weeks back, Sedusa, um, was really an older idea that I had. And I had so many versions of it, uh, you know, different ideas, uh, different eras where I would take a swing at it, different equipment, different guitars and keyboards and all that stuff. And it just never really got released. I knew it was a decent song. I thought it was worth and, you know, worthy of effort, but it just never got released until, you know, about a month ago. And uh, in the process of, you know, recording this song, uh, the one that you've heard, the one that I'm releasing, you know, I made so many things, so many versions of this song. I mean, just trial and error, you know, different guitar tracks, different singing, different approaches to the music and everything, just all kinds of stuff, right? So uh, what I decided I'm going to share with you today is one of those versions of Sedusa that um, didn't make it to the final cut, but uh, I figured it might be entertaining to listen to and um, give you an idea, I guess, if you compare it to the version that did get released, kind of gives you an idea of, um, you know, like how different certain elements in a song you know, make it sound or if you eliminate certain elements you know whatever uh, you know it's, there's a, there could be a world of difference uh, sonically you know uh, so without further ado here is the unreleased one of the unreleased versions of Sedusa that I you know knocked together and uh, just didn't make it to the final cut so enjoy uh, a one of a kind version of Sedusa that uh, will only be made available right here, right now. Uh, peace out, everybody. Love you. Have fun. Enjoy the music. And I'll talk to you soon in another podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>